0: This is a podcast of honest, raw, authentic conversations about how to live a hopeful life. Not in the rainbows and unicorns kind of way. Oh no, we're talking about hard stuff, cancer, loss, fear, and much more. And also the good stuff, love, laughter, connection. We're going to take time together to talk about how to find light in the darkness. I'm Lara McGregor, founder of Hope Scarves and the Hopeful Life Project. Join me as I navigate my own way of living joyfully with a terminal illness and talk to others who have also found a way to live a hopeful life. In this episode of A Hopeful Life Podcast, I welcome Daryl Van Tongeren, a psychology professor at Hope College in Holland, Michigan, go Dutch, (laughs) and his wife, Sarah Showalter Van Tongeren, a licensed clinical social worker. They are the brilliant authors of the book, The Courage to Suffer. In this book, they present a new clinical framework for life's greatest crises, by outlining what they call the phases of darkness. Before you click away, because this sounds like a total bummer, please stay. I promise this conversation is filled with hope. That's the whole point of their work. The story of suffering is never simple. It is full of pain and loss and questioning And also courage, growth, and love. It is not something to avoid or triumph over, but rather an inescapable part of life. We talk about how to find courage to suffer and courage to flourish, regardless of what comes next. There were multiple times while reading their book and also throughout this conversation that literally took my breath away. Their perspective genuinely reflects the struggles and realizations I have personally had throughout my own suffering. I hope in listening to this conversation, you too come to understand, we all suffer. In this book and our shared conversation, Daryl, Sarah, and I talk about the understanding that it's how we suffer that allows us to shine.
1: Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Daryl. And for us, living a hopeful life means embracing suffering
2: and choosing to find meaning in the midst of it.
1: Welcome
0: to A Hopeful Life podcast. Thank Thank you. you.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: I am so excited to have you here today as the authors of this new book, The Courage to Suffer. My husband saw this book sitting in the counter and he was like, oh, well, that looks like a real upper. (laughs) I was like, it is, actually. Um, He um, just kind of laughed at me. Um, But it is such a beautiful book. And when I learned about your work um, around this book, I knew I, I wanted to invite you on because so many of the ideas that you discuss in this book are very much in line with what it means to live a hopeful life, um, yeah. As we define it here at Hope Scarves, and I um, would just like to thank you, first of all, for taking to, for pouring your heart and knowledge into this amazing book, which is actually written as a tool for um, psychologists or for counselors. So yeah. I was reading it as a, as a patient with no clinical background or any training whatsoever in psychology, <laughs> maybe one course in college and undergrad. Um, but it's it's just it's like a it's like a tool for a new framework of helping patients through suffering. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell tell me a little bit about? What brought you, you both have come from a professional background, obviously, to this topic, but what brought you to write the book?
2: Yeah, so the book is, I think, at the intersection of our professional training, but then also um, this book is a bit personal for us. So I had been studying existential themes in uh, in graduate school, and we, we can talk about that in, in a little bit, just... Uh, how people deal with the realization that one day they 're going to die, and what that does to their behavior, how people try to find meaning in life and this was in graduate school and these were always these were very academic abstract concepts to me uh, until I got a phone call from my brother uh, that he was going to have to have a surgery that uh, we we thought was going to be somewhat routine it was a little a little risky but somewhat routine. And uh, after the course of three weeks uh, of getting progressively worse, um, he ended up passing away and leaving his wife and three kids under the age of six. Mm. And so um, that that shocked me, that shocked um, my view of the world, my view mm. of God in, in really deeply and profound ways. And another way that it was deeply unsettling was that there is there is a very strong genetic condition to what took my brother's life at the age of 34. And so I lost my brother and suddenly i am we are both concerned about my health, that I might have this same very strong genetic condition that we uh, later found out, uh, claimed my father's life mm. just a few years ago as well. Mm. So um, the academic and the abstract uh, became very real and personal. Mm-hmm. And kind of right around the same time, Sarah was also cultivating her own uh, academic and professional interests in this area.
1: I was working. um, So I'm a social worker by training, a clinical social worker. And so um, I think part of that work is working with people that suffer in various capacities. And so I had been in foster care, like working with kids in foster care. And then I had been in an interpartner violence uh, shelter that I was working with on the crisis team. And then during this time, I was a medical social worker and I was in a, in a hospital uh, in the outpatient clinics working with children and families who had uh, gotten a long-term terminal diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So things like cystic fibrosis or muscular dystrophy. And so I was leading these support groups, and um, it was something that I I witnessed, and I think you described it so well, Daryl, like this abstract, like very removed, and I think, to be honest, uh, sterile clinical kind of way mm-hmm. that I think uh, that's my big criticism of my field um, is and, and even therapists in general as we've been taught to be so sterile and, and uh, removed, I think, honestly, for our own protection. Uh, mm-hmm. It does not always benefit our clients and the families we work with, um, nor does I actually think it benefits us. So mm-hmm. I, I found myself very different therapist when I came back after the three weeks I had spent in the ICU uh, with Daryl's brother and his family, and mm-hmm. it challenged me and wrestled. like I just was wrestling and realizing I wasn't the therapist or a practitioner I wanted to be, but then also on our end – I remember numerous times trying to find a therapist that could sit with us in our suffering and not just try to problem solve it. Yeah, and we couldn't find one. No, <laughs> and so that was sort of the where this book was born out of. <laughs> right.
0: Well, that's so that's so fascinating. I was I had the same experience when mm-hmm. I was newly diagnosed with my stage four breast cancer diagnosis, and the counselor I found was not. You know, it was very much trying to solve, trying to, like, yeah. her, her fix the problem.
1: And, mm-hmm. um, and,
0: and I even come, my husband and I even, like, come from a place. We have this acronym we use all the time with our family. It's called STP. Like, if something's happening, we're like, hold on, STP solve the problem. I mean, so we come from this like place <laughs> yes. of like solve the problem. We are problem right. solvers. That is how yes. we have addressed challenges our whole life until we yes. ran smack into this metastatic breast cancer wall yeah. and realized Which you can not. <laughs> and I had to completely reframe my yeah. entire way of being because mm-hmm. I could not solve my way out of the situation. Yes. And I can remember feeling this like deep desire to find a way to like I kept kept saying but I just want to be happy in my pain yeah mm-hmm. and but yet there was no one help available to help me do that mm-hmm. and that is like so much what I feel like your book is about is about a, a new framework that is not about solving the problem it's about helping patients find their way through the pain and and finding a way to flourish, not because of the absence of pain, but because they've done a lot of hard work to build this resiliency to live joyfully with yes. the pain. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, I'm not kidding you. I, there were moments in your book that literally took my breath away.
2: Hmm.
0: Hmm. I mean, hmm. like, <laughs> it was <Thank> so, <laughs> so profound as someone who, um, I, I feel like I've been trying to do this myself for the past mm. several years with no guidance from anyone else. I mean, I have a great counselor, and she's amazing, but not in this exact way. Like, I was like, oh, my God, I'm so in midnight. Like, I was in the midnight. Yeah, that's right. And I was that's waiting right. for the dawn. Like, your framework yeah. just yes. puts some context to it. So oh, let's just jump you. into that, can we? Yeah. Um, yeah. You talk about these phases of darkness that – as someone who grew up in Michigan, you all are, are in Michigan, <laughs> yes. I'm like, yes, sunset all the time. Like, yeah, you were talking my language. Like the yeah. the whole way you framed this um, mm-hmm. is just so beautifully done, but also so so relevant to living with suffering. So, can you help um, our listeners understand this new kind of framework that you are you are proposing, which are, you call the phases of darkness?
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, so we we lay out just kind of five phases and they're not necessarily linear and maybe they're circular. And
1: we we sort of chose the darkness. Not only Michigan, I mean, I think we talked about it, it's like challenged <laughs> our view of darkness and light. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of darkness,
0: especially in the
1: wintertime. <laughs> like a, a lot of yeah. darkness. And we specifically, I think, we as society, as Americans, as Westerners are more, I think there's a reason why like positive psychology and gratitude has taken hold. Um, It's really like light and lovely and just get your thinking right and you'll experience no suffering. Like Mm. it's, it's this very attractive, like Mm -hmm. God, if it was true, we would all do it and Mm -hmm. we would be fine. Mm -hmm. Um, So we intentionally uh, sat with darkness as the metaphor. Mm -hmm. Um, and we intentionally chose darkness because it is cyclical. So Mm -hmm. the daylight will shine, but it does get dark again. Um, and so that was intentional on our, our part.
0: It's beautiful.
1: So, so the,
2: the first phase is when suffering strikes, right? And and I think we call this sunset where Mm -hmm. when suffering strikes, what happens is you start you start realizing that some of the worldview beliefs that you had. So just kind of of some of the assumptions that you had about the world, like the world is fair. I'm a good person. Good things should happen to me. Or I can solve it. Everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. Yes. What happens is those things start to become um, revealed for being a bit um, of an illusion, right? You realize that those assumptions just don't carry the weight of the reality. And you
1: may not even realize it. You just know something's not right. And so you're like searching, searching, searching. Mm. And so it's challenging on even such an implicit level that you don't even know what's happening. And so, so
2: this is kind of what starts that, that
1: journey. And the second,
2: and really when you're in this, you're just trying to like stabilize, right? Like you're just trying to get your footing again. You're just trying to.
1: And that's what I wanted to normalize as a therapist. I don't think we do a good job as therapists. I feel like this is a confessional as a therapist, <laughs> We we don't do a good enough job of just sitting with someone in it mm-hmm. like we've mm-hmm. talked about. We want to solve it. And, and what's what part of the book is doing an education for therapists so people can buy this? Mm-hmm. I hope it's successful for people like just regular people who are suffering, right, And for therapists, but mm-hmm. because we we just don't sit with people in their suffering, mm-hmm. we don't allow the space for it mm-hmm. because I think as therapists, it makes us uncomfortable. It challenges us. Mm-hmm. It scares us sometimes mm-hmm. because it violates sometimes the things one we were taught in school, we're trained at. Like, you should just get your thinking right. Well, I'm sorry. when you're faced with your own death, your thinking's quite clear. Mm-hmm. Um and mm-hmm. I can say that as a personal level, like I faced the thought of that I'm going to lose my husband. Um, I'm quite clear in my thoughts. That's actually quite right. based in reality. Um, right. And so Gosh, it's yes. trying to to allow the space just for stabilization, meaning sitting with suffering, allowing the space.
0: Mm-hmm and kind of assessing.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. A-
2: like asking yourself, what's ha- what are my beliefs? What am I what am I holding on to? What am I clinging to? Was, what's what working? am I threatened by? Yeah, what what's yes. the threat? Um mm-hmm. you know, we we couch um, suffering as an existential concern. Um and by that we mean it reveals these fundamental realities of what it means to be human. So things like um, we live in a world that doesn't have a lot of structure. It's kind of chaotic, but we have to make choices. And that's, that can be very anxiety provoking. Like what's the right choice? We don't often know. Um, we're isolated from one another. Like no no one knows what it's like to be you or, for, or to be me or, or to be Sarah.
1: Even in a marriage, right? Like that's mm-hmm. the interesting thing. So like Daryl's grieving with the genetic condition and his brother, I'm grieving a brother-in-law and my husband. So mm-hmm. even though we're walking through it together, we completely have different, perspectives on it yeah
2: i mean the the existential reality of of an identity who am i what's my story and who
1: are you now right (laughs) Mm because it challenges it right Mm -hmm. like you Mm -hmm. may probably had a maybe a different identity than you did now when before your cancer diagnosis the first time yeah um
2: and then uh, the reality of, of death, the one that no one likes to talk about. No, I mean, we,
1: we've we constructed a society in which we, you know, sell all kinds of na- natural nature and anti-aging products. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we my
0: just... gosh. Gosh, don't get me started. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I always am like, I'm pro-aging. Yes. I'm pro-aging. Yes. I'm yes. actually doing a little stand-up <laughs> set um, and a fundraiser for our Gilda's Club where they have like local kind of, you know, pseudo-celebrities do stand-up and my whole shtick is being pro-aging because I'm yes. like, what in the world people why are what it's this anti-aging movement like yes. hello you, you know I Darryl mean Daryl yes.
1: always says maybe you should add this in your stand-up comedy routine yeah uh, he always says it beats the alternative exactly
0: right? <laughs> well exactly that's my whole thing like I'm like oh anyway yeah so obviously yes. that's yeah. the hugest yeah. piece of our yeah. our accessibility just our avoidance this, right? right we avoid avoidance. it at
2: all costs it, and, right. and because we avoid it so much if, if you can enter into that second stage and sometimes i feel like you're pulled in you don't willingly enter <laughs> we, we call this into the darkness and the goal here is to actually start beginning to accept your new reality mm-hmm. um so so part of what happened when my brother passed away and i had this and we were searching for this genetic condition for me. Is we were told to put a pause on trying to have kids because we were, we had just started. We were in grad school. We thought the time was right. <laughs> Fast forward, we wait and then we finally get the green light. And by the time we get and the by green, green
1: light, we meant yellow light, right? Like but yellow light, right? Like we, we you know, said, we were going to run that yeah, light. If, right. if you want
2: <laughs> right. to roll the right. dice, right. yeah. Right. right. <laughs> oh. By the time we get to that point, uh, after years and years of trying, we get. um Infertility diagnosis, mm. right? And it's I basically had no eggs left.
1: I <laughs> <and laughs> waited too long,
2: <laughs> and so it's, it's one of those things where um, we Sarah and I looked at each other and we we said, I can't believe that this is our story. Mm-hmm. Like this, this doesn't have to be our story, right? Like something else. Like we this can wasn't promise all the we can plan, solve right. It. But, right, <laughs> exactly. this wasn't, this wasn't the, the way
0: we saw this going.
2: Right, and so when you get pulled into the darkness, so many people just avoid and they deny or they try to problem solve or think their way out of it. But
1: or they'll like create this shiny new thing that like reflects some version of light, but it's not really light Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, because it's scary. It's scary to actually think this is something that cannot be problem solved. And Mm -hmm. for some people, they just stay there. They just keep like futilely problem solving. And maybe and I will say this, like there was a period of probably a couple years in which we were in that before mm-hmm. it like it's sort of like it'll bend or break you. And I feel right. like maybe at different times it did that for one or the other of right. us.
0: Well you keep thinking there's something I haven't figured out yet that's gonna yeah. right.
1: get us through well, it. And I, I mean bless the medical community. Again, this isn't my therapy confessional, but like It's threatening as a physician, as a therapist, as a as a helping professional to think I can't help you fix this. And so that exposes our own Mm -hmm. threats that we come with. Mm -hmm. uh, Because quite frankly, like I went into grad school to help people. And so what happens when I don't help? I can't help them in the way that I have my own expectation um, of maybe even alleviating the suffering. Again, I think that's. What as therapists were trained to do is alleviate, minimize, mitigate, and th- that's helpful to a point. But there is a certain point in these situations with with the challenge and the threat of suffering. You 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 can't fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have to be with it,
0: right? And you talk about this idea of radical acceptance mm. in the dusk yeah. phase that yeah. was really spoke to me because mm. I feel like I kind of came to that point where I was like, there was all these nuanced little acceptances for me. Mm-hmm. And I was gonna accept that I couldn't have any more children I had to have my ovaries removed. I had to accept that I couldn't run because my lungs were filled with cancerous fluid. I had to accept, there was all this little tiny accepting that was exhausting.
1: It's exhausting. Yeah. And it's but, not like, cause it's not like accepting like, yay, I accept this gift.
0: No, no. <laughs> you're like, okay, I got that. That's taken away from me. Now this mm-hmm. is taken away from me. But there was this idea That you talked about and they put this word to it of radical acceptance that I'm going to find the page in my very dog eared, very written all over (laughs) version of Mm. copy of your book because I just could not stop all. There's so many nuggets of good stuff in here. But this radical acceptance was kind of like for me, what I had to do was just like be like I wholeheartedly, like fully just like I'm accepting all of this bullshit.
1: (laughs) Yeah, It's all kinds of
0: crappiness and like – like um. I don't know, just like this, like kind of seismic shift of like living in uncertainty and not yeah. being able to solve it, and no longer setting the solving as the goal, but just yeah. like living in the murkiness as like the acceptance of what I, what what this was going to be like, and yeah.
1: and, and that's this, radical, right? Well, like that, yeah. it really is. It's just a transformational. Way, I mean, we see this even like in the general population right now, I'm seeing mm-hmm. this with COVID mm-hmm. for a lot of people maybe that haven't lived with suffering in this way that's mm-hmm. unsolvable because they've been able to solve it or put up the shiny little thing. That's more of the meta thing that I think is going on is there yes. hasn't been that radical acceptance that our life is different and it will not look the same. And that is where we need to now enter into. Rather, right. we're all trying to preserve Go what back it used to. to be. We're gonna get back yeah. to. We're
0: gonna get back to. But there's no going right. back. It's gonna be different no matter where what. Because what we fail we
1: all fail to realize is we're different. Right. You can't yes. sit in a doctor's office and get news like you got, like we got, like different people have gotten, and not be changed instantly.
0: Right. right. Yeah. And that's also such a huge part of the process of healing is that that I I felt very much that like I was shooting to get back to like wellness was like what I was mm. before and I had to yeah. redefine I wasn't trying to heal to come back to the person I was before I was trying to heal to become a, this new version of yes. myself Brilliant. and allowing that to happen and setting the setting the the benchmark at a different place which wasn't I'm a marathon runner and I can do all these things that was me healing Mm-hmm. In my old perspective, and and when I shifted to this this acceptance and I, I named the pain and I allowed for this radical acceptance, there was this different shift to, like, the goal is different. Yeah, The goal of thriving does not look like being a marathon runner anymore. Mm-hmm. The goal of thriving is being able to go on a bike ride with my children.
1: Yes. Yeah. The identity of mm-hmm. who you are is now different. And right. then that's when you can start – the rebuilding, right? So you right. have to deconstruct, right? That's what we talk about in our book, is the process of deconstructing those identities, those things you thought right. were yours, the worldview it. And then then only then when it's laying as a rumble, like a rubble yeah. on the ground, <laughs> yeah. Can you then rebuild it?
0: Right. Well, so Sarah, that's the next phase is that yeah. is midnight, right? So we've had sunset, dusk,
1: and then mm-hmm. midnight. But
0: some people kind of I I found it interesting that you said some people stop at dusk. They stop at the second stage because it it feels good. Like they're like, okay, I've accepted it. But that there is actually more Mm -hmm. and the next stage is actually really hard. And that's what you guys call midnight and this deconstruction, Mm -hmm. this questioning of our beliefs that can often feel – be a phase that feels very vulnerable and angry But that's not a those aren't wrong feelings. Like as a as a as a counselor helping people through this, these these phases, this midnight deconstruction phase is is scary. Talk to us about this third phase.
1: Yeah, it's so scary. It's scary. Personally, I also think women specifically, we have not been taught to sit with anger Mm -hmm. And so something I'd say to all your listeners is anger in women can often look a lot like depression. Mm -hmm. Um, So we, as women, synthesize anger because we've been taught to hold it in um, Mm -hmm. for lots of reasons, mostly cultural. So. Even when I say that, I also mean like deep depression because, so anxiety is this, this is what I often say to my clients is anxiety is the worry about the future, the anticipation you won't have what you need for the future. Depression is the reality is mm-hmm. what it is. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. frustrating because that there's not movement there. It's very, um, it's very heavy to say yeah. this is what it is. So Yeah, what you said even about like riding a bike, like that's heavy. There's a loss that's grieving that exists with that. Mm -hmm. And so to sit with people, this is in some ways, uh, like so some people get incredibly angry. I mean, that's when I love to introduce cussing in sessions, like let's just lose it. Like. (laughs) Mm-hmm. let's just scream and shout like yeah. it's a lot easier now that I'm working from home because my God. I have had a couple of my I have a massage therapist who shares a wall with me and when we get really loud after those sessions she comes over she's like is everything okay and I often will say like everything was great actually yeah. <laughs> it's a great session <laughs> it was great yeah. we're doing much better now yeah and so it just to get it out to Nate to to and I think not to stigmatize it right we do that we especially as women and i think men do it in their own way right like i mean i think you should speak to that about men in the deconstruction process
2: yeah i mean i th- so i think sometimes um for men it remains a very uh, intellectual enterprise right mm-hmm. and it's like a, a rational thing like mm, well you know let's rational like what what fits mm-hmm. what doesn't fit and it's right. detached like it's right. over there right. um but it's very much in your body too. I mean, one of the I think one of the reasons why deconstruction is so hard, and why so many people are like, "No, acceptance is as far as I want to go," mm. is because if you deconstruct, you're really kind of um, uprooting so many of the things that have anchored you in the world, right. like, like the way that you make sense of the world.
1: Right. Like for me, deconstruction. I I'm a Christian, and I am a different Christian now than I was. Beforehand, before times, (laughs) in the before times.
0: And that is terrifying. If these are my long-founded beliefs and all of a sudden in through this process with you, I'm going to start questioning the things that were my anchors.
1: Yes, yeah. like what? and and then then it's right now, like Mar- the other people. I'm, yeah, you're right. like I'm
0: already feeling like I I don't know you know like I'm adrift. But you're telling me I've got to pull up these these last <laughs> remaining anchors and it's really right. be screwed. Like you're right. a great counselor. Right. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right. exactly. exactly.
1: And, and so I've heard that
2: before. <laughs> and, and so before people decide to you know close the browser and they're like I don't know if I want to listen to them anymore. <laughs> the, the reason the reason why um, deconstruction we actually think is pretty important is. If you don't make some of these fundamental changes, when you're 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 going to find yourself in the exact same place again. Because
1: suffering future. is going to happen, okay? right. Right. And, right? And so,
2: if you hold a belief, and and this is, and I'm not saying that this is in a logical one, but if you hold the belief that God is good and all powerful and all loving, and then mm-hmm. something happens to you, you you if you, you might be wondering like, well, does God not love me? Is God not right. powerful? What did I do to deserve this? And and if you get stuck in that pattern that's so exhausting and guilt inducing and shame prone that one way of addressing that is maybe there's just a different way I need to think about God. Right. Or maybe there's actually not like this cosmic um, calculus that, you know, if I do enough good, I get good out of life. And maybe, you know, the rain falls equally on the righteous and the unrighteous, the good and the bad, the people like me and Mm. then the jerks in life. Right. Mm -hmm. And so maybe there's like a different way we need to actually make sense of our reality. Right. But to do that, Sometimes it feels like you have to throw everything out on the floor in front of you and then repack the suitcase. Because I,
1: I will say, I mean, as I said, Christian, I, I think I went a period of like six months where I was like, I actually don't think God exists. Mm-hmm. And I had to do that. I ha- I look back now um, mm-hmm. on this side, maybe of a little bit more reconstructed. And again, I think it is more fragile and I'm okay with that now. But like I I – I was reading like i actually looked at my books the other day of like the stacks of books on faith and christianity and thinking and just rest it's exhausting like you said mm-hmm. and you're grieving and you don't feel well and all these things mm-hmm. and so yes for some mm-hmm. people either they're not willing or not able or just not ready to do that and I'll i will say for me and the clients that i that are able to do that it has transformed my life, and I actually think mm-hmm. this is like sort of the the key point of being yeah. able to get to where it actually is flourishing, mm-hmm. um, where some people just turn back for lots of reasons,
0: because that piece of constru- of reconstructing builds you up stronger to face the face the continuation of the suffering, mm-hmm.
2: absolutely, and yeah. that if you yeah.
0: if if you're if you're built on these false or this the premises that you say like can give you this kind of like false sense of security or question your own beliefs or make you feel yeah. insecure. They like those are going to continue to to be there and not you're not going to have a strong enough foundation.
2: Totally, it, it's else. like if you just continue to wear the wrong prescription of glasses mm-hmm. and you're like, why do I keep bumping into the wall? It's mm-hmm. like, well, at some point yeah. you just need a different way of seeing the world. Oh, and, that's and so true. And like that's okay. And and, and maybe you're. It's even harder because you have to take off the glasses and find the new prescription. But then once you, <laughs> right. you have the new while one you f- have
0: the glasses off. Right. Yeah, yeah, you're like, is <laughs> like, <laughs> that is such a good analogy, <laughs> Daryl. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. yes.
1: And it's scary. And I do think pastors, therapists, humans, friends. It's scary to watch someone go through this because right. Well and it's, some it's of those painful. people are gonna
0: give you glasses that aren't the right prescription oh, either. They're giving yes. you
2: they're giving you their they're
0: prescription. Right? <laughs> right. They're like
2: yeah. and you're like, I don't need bifocals. You might need but I don't need them.
0: Right. But they're like, right. This is what you need. Yes. Yeah, this, exactly. <laughs> right. like, this is what oh, everyone needs. Right, exactly. <laughs> That's what they'll say. Oh yeah. my gosh. Well I can I can relate so much to this de- This this deconstruction. And and I specifically, I think it's interesting that you, you brought up the example of religion because I feel like there mm-hmm. is a, so much that grounds people in their beliefs that is questioned when they are faced with something that feels so unjust. Yeah. And yeah. Um, like one of the things that I really struggle with, and I am a Christian, is I feel like everyone wants to know like what to pray for me and yeah. what time and the specific prayer. And I'm like, is it like a popularity contest? So like yeah. if you're praying for me when I'm in the CT scan, my scan is somehow gonna be better than the woman right. next to me mm-hmm. who only has three people praying for her. Like there's right. like, like it's like a, and I just, like that, I struggled with that. And I was like, I'm not gonna tell you what time my scan is or what time to pray. <laughs> yes. Cause I don't believe right. God's like, nope, you prayed at the wrong time. i not right. gonna grant that miracle. Right. You That's know, right. like I just, right. but those were things that like, yeah. my people that surrounded me felt comfort and knowing that they were praying for me when I was in the scan machine, right? And so I was doing this for them, but
1: inside I was like really confused about it. Yeah, it, and, it becomes ugh. superstitious, right? Mm-hmm. That's what, and that's where I had to look at some of my stuff. I I became this maybe like your friends, this um, <laughs> very uh, superstitious person, mm. uh, where I was like, okay, well I'll just pray, and then I'll just pray, and it, it wasn't. I had to look at my own. View of what I thought God was, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, what you're saying is like, is this like a karma collecting God? Like, mm-hmm. do you know, Please. like, what does that mean? Is it like the la- like God's hard of hearing? So, if a lot of people, the right time, he'll like maybe he'll, right. he'll hear. Be like, oh
0: wait, yeah, that one. Got yeah. to get to that, that girl. <laughs> there.
1: And, and, and one of the, one of the things that we um, oh. we we kind of have
2: noted it, uh, just in our work, but also in our own life, is that a lot of times I think when people are engaging you in those ways, or people are engaging any of us. They're trying to soothe themselves, yeah. and they're trying to sometimes reaffirm their own beliefs, and so oh, yeah. they don't like the fact that they can't help you. They feel out of control, so they think mm-hmm. if they can do something that mm-hmm. will help you, they've reestablished their sense of control. Right. What, one of my uh, favorite things—I had a friend, a good friend, still a good friend of mine—and he had he had lost his mom early, early in life. And when my, when my brother died, as soon as I get back, I got back, he said, "Daryl, let's go to Chipotle," you know, and we just went and we just hung out. And like that, and we just like were with each other, and we didn't even talk much. And he like bought my burrito, and he was just like, "Hey, when my mom died, so many people said so many wrong things, and all I wanted was just to hang out with someone." Mm-hmm. He's like, "So if you ever want to do this, let's just just let me know." Yeah. And sometimes our our actual presence with each other can be so healing, mm-hmm. and our silence can say. There's really nothing that I can tell you to make this better, but I'm hoping that my presence will convey to you yeah. how much I love you. And yeah. I hope that will be somewhat healing.
1: Mm. Right. And if, yeah, if we can let the person construct in their own way and trust that, mm-hmm. then we can allow that space to mm-hmm. eat burritos.
0: <laughs> like, and I think that that's kind of where I've landed with all of this is that if that is bringing you joy and peace, then I'm that I'm okay with you praying for me when I'm in my CT scan. And that yeah. is something that's going to bring you comfort. But that I do not feel like God needs you to pray at the exact time for the exact right thing. And yeah. I had to come to that by this deconstruction of what felt like false narratives or felt confusing to me. and what I do find now as more truth and more um, more reflective of the light that I'm seeking and the peace that I find, and that that may be different from other people and allowing allowing space for all of that to kind of happen. But that was that darkness. That was your third phase of midnight, of the yeah. questioning, um, you know, of suddenly having no compass, of not knowing mm-hmm. where I was going and figuring out what I held true and what was going to bring me stability. And like you said, this is cyclical. I find myself back in midnight. Mm-hmm. When I'm questioning something else or when I yeah. get bad news and I'm, yeah. I'm faced again with, like, being in the crisis and questioning mm-hmm. some of these f- big, huge things that I, you know, believed in that don't seem true anymore. So mm-hmm. it's not like you just come through midnight, like you said. Right. This, this system is, is cyclical, just like yeah. the day. And the, um, But after midnight, so you have sunset, dusk, midnight. Then the fourth phase is dawn.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: it happens in dawn.
2: That's when you you start slowly, tentatively reassembling and reconstructing that worldview, and, and I want to think about it like almost like just those little tiny flower buds that come up in mm-hmm. spring. They're so fragile mm-hmm. that they're not ready for like the full weight, right? And mm-hmm. so you just have to be so careful with them. Mm-hmm. But it's such an empowering process to reconstruct a worldview that it reflects your reality. That um,
0: Of not the one you wanted, but the one where right. you actually are. Not right. the one where you went back and, and took away the pain.
2: Nope. Right. <laughs> but But one that honestly names the pain mm-hmm. and where you start creating a narrative that holds your pain not as the solely defining feature of who you are. But as part of your story. So it's it's not this bifurcation of like, I was this and now I'm it's like I'm all those things together. Mm-hmm. I am my pain, but I'm more than my pain. Mm-hmm. I also enjoy hot sauce. Right. I also enjoy <laughs> right. you know, streaming yeah. stupid shows on Netflix. Right. And I am these other things too. And I know that I know the pain and I've been um accustomed to it.
1: And what, what I find is that process is such a gradual ginger process of um And that sometimes we have these like moments of enlightenment of like, Oh oh my gosh, that's it. And then other times it's more, it looks more murky and it's sort of like those early parts of dawn where you can't actually quite tell if it's sunset or, or Mm -hmm. the sun is rising. Mm -hmm. It looks very similar. Mm -hmm. Um, and you're also groggy. And you're so dead. groggy and tired. Yeah, right. <laughs> so
0: early. Maybe you're a little hungover. I don't know. Yeah, so like, exactly.
2: However you <laughs> yes. needed to get through midnight.
0: However, yes. <laughs> you know, you had one too many IPAs. Yes. Uh, yes. 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 Oh, my gosh. But the thing about Dawn that just struck me so much because I am a writer. I'm a storyteller here at Hope Scarves. We collect scarves and stories and share them with people facing cancer. Um, is that you talk about. In dawn that this is the time that you actively author your own story then react against it
2: you demonstrate
0: mm-hmm. autonomy and reframe your reframe your experience so that the suffering is incorporated but not the defining element i mean <laughs> i was just like that was one of the moments that took my breath away in this book mm-hmm. that's what i talk about all the time mm-hmm. Like be the, you know, write your own story.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's such autonomy that I have found in my own life and when I work with clients to be able to say, this isn't what I wanted, but this is what it is. And so now what do I want to make it? Mm -hmm. Yes. So there's such power in that. And like the beautiful thing that we were talking about in the beginning about existential fears, then suddenly we're answering that fear of control. We actually do have something we can do with it. Mm -hmm. Um, We can't take away the pain. We can't solve it. But we have this ability to create something out of it that, again, isn't what we wanted. Like, I I, I honestly say that. Like, let's be honest. Like, let's call it for what it is. (laughs) I say all the time, I would
0: give all of this enlightened holding both fear and joy in the same hand (laughs) of the same time bullshit (laughs) away. And just be happy and not have... Mm -hmm. A terminal cancer diagnosis. Oh, like, yeah, like with, with absolutely the,
2: like with the pills with the matrix. Yeah, I want to be like blissfully unaware, <laughs> exactly. just yeah,
0: totally. Exactly. But we come to this like reconstruction place um that you live in this tension that you do not mm-hmm. have all the answers. I loved this on, on page 88 and 89 of your book. You said you live in the tension that you do not have all the answers, and such a posture can still be settling. And comforting. You learn to live with uncertainty. So just even like recognizing that you're not – it's not – it's no – the goal is no longer solve the problem. Right. That's huge.
2: I mean the the, the tiny spoiler alert, which I will give away, is – if, if you work through these things, and, and my sense is that many of your listeners know this in their being. They know this with every fiber of who they are. These existential fears are not actually fears. They're not actually threats. Mm. These are just realities. These are just yes. truths, right? It, we don't need to be afraid of the fact that we die because everyone dies. It's just real, right? Oh. Everyone dies. It's okay, not a wait, fear. It's that just a again. reality.
0: Daryl, say that again. These yeah. are not threats.
2: Right. They're not threats. They're truths. Huh. Right, they're not fears; Mike they're drop, just
0: facts. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, so, that's huge. Yeah. I, I mean, at the, if you at the you're end just of the, framing it differently, it's not a threat; it's no, a reality.
2: It's a reality.
0: Yeah,
2: it's just Ugh. it's a reality. We're isolated from one another. It's a reality that yeah. we we don't you know that we uh, we're all going to die. That we have to create meaning.
1: It's not. It's just a that reality. we don't have control of all things all the time. Right. Bad things it's happen just, to good people. Right. Yeah. And that's where that
2: reframing, that deconstruction, that reconstruction can be so powerful. Because then all of a sudden, you're you're kind of becoming okay. You're making sense of the senseless, right? You're mm-hmm. you're becoming a friend with uncertainty and unpredictability. Mm-hmm. And that, in it in itself, kind of is comforting because right. that starts to align with the way you think the world works—not the way you right. think it should work,
0: right. but <laughs> the way that
2: that you've witnessed it. To be.
0: And it's not easy.
2: No, no. no.
0: I mean, it's not like you're just like, oh, okay, now I'm okay with uncertainty, and then like everything falls
2: into place. Yeah, exactly.
1: It's hard. It's hard. hard. And I will say this as the cyclical cycle of suffering is, Mm -hmm. whether it's a doctor appointment or a new diagnosis or something, or even like a loss of a family member or something that triggers it up again, Mm -hmm. I have found that when I can frame it as realities and not threats, Mm -hmm. I'm able to sit with it because I'm not threatened by it. It's still hard and sucky and terrible and really painful, uh, but it's it's not threatening.
0: Right, that's huge. Just as just a way of framing your experience. This is not a threat. This is a reality. This is not something yeah. to be avoided or run away from or solve. This is a piece of my story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so when you make it through Dawn, You enter into the fifth phase of darkness, which you call daylight.
2: Right. So the goal for daylight, however long it lasts, I mean, it might just be a little bit, I mean, in the Michigan winters, you know, it's not that
0: long. (laughs) Days are
1: short. They are. They are.
2: Summer's great. Um, The the goal is to um, live authentically. So if you've worked through this, you can now start arranging your um, your life in, into ways that are very authentic and give you the opportunity to really metabolize some of this um, pain and suffering into growth and into uh, the potential for flourishing. And, and I'm not saying that everybody grows, right? And, and like you were saying, I'm not uh, arguing that pain is a good thing because look at all this great stuff that came from it. But but the ability to live authentically um, is really ha- really how we can move forward into daylight.
0: I loved this quote at the start of, of chapter seven that is by Sarah Bessie from Out of Sorts. Mm. It says, I don't want to be swallowed by the darkness, nor do I want to be blinded by the beautiful facade. No, I want to be part of a people who see the darkness, know it's real, and then, then... Then, light a candle anyway. Hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, and, and my sense is that your, your listeners know this, you know this. I, I think that what Sarah and I would argue is that true and actual hope comes from looking at the worst. It's not a blissful ignorance or a blind optimism. It comes from staring at the worst and then still choosing to move forward uh, anyway.
0: anyway. Exactly. Exactly. Choosing to live authentically, striving towards building existential security and resilience, cultivating vulnerable compassion. So when you arrive at this daylight, you're starting to make sense of your suffering. You are finding this resiliency, this vulnerable compassion. I loved the idea that you're connecting to others' suffering. I was like, yes, 100%, yes. That's what we talk about at Hope Scarves. And it's like making meaning of your pain. I talk about turning heartbreak into hope. That when you move beyond the pain to do something with it, not because it's gone, but because mm. you, you like mold the pain into a different shape. There is so much, there's so much love that comes from this compassion and focusing on others. And I mm-hmm. loved the way you talked about encouraging people to think about coming at this with their head, heart, and hands. And so in this last phase, this phase of daylight, let's talk about the power of of, of making meaning and finding yeah. hope.
2: Yeah, so yeah, so, so cultivating meaning in all the phases um is the hope, but also in daylight, you know, you think about with the head, the heart and the hands. We think about um the head is maybe being ways to connect with the transcendent, whether that's with religion or spirituality. With the heart, we talk about cultivating meaningful and authentic and deep relationships with other people. And then with the hands, we talk about ways in which you can live beyond yourself, that you can give back, that you can live somewhat pro-socially, toward oriented towards other people, and all three of those things have to do with getting yourself beyond yourself, right? Getting being larger than just who you are, a greater sense of transcendence or connection uh, to something. Uh, outside yourself
1: and I think what I would say to your listeners is sometimes we push that when we're in darkness and that can be helpful Mm -hmm. but really this is the work of daylight Mm -hmm. is once you've done the work and and been able to get to the place sometimes when it's beyond yourself uh get to the place of daylight then this is something that almost comes from this like Club you didn't want to be in, mm-hmm. <laughs> but because you now know you're a member mm-hmm. and you've accepted that you have a membership, you then have a deeper capacity. I am a better therapist because I've suffered. Would mm-hmm. I trade it? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm a better. I'm a better therapist. I'm right. a better friend. Right. I think I'm a better sister yeah. uh, because I've suffered. Mm-hmm. I I think I'm a better human. Mm-hmm. I can see and sit. And I will also tell you, I cry way more. Mm-hmm. Uh, you probably even can tell I was like tearing up at times when you were saying, because it is, it's, it, and so honestly, uh, for us, the book was um, in some ways, the thing we put our head, heart and hands to. You did, And you so absolutely f- did. yeah, for you to say, I remember when we were talking in the beginning and you just say like how meaningful it was for you, even that is meaningful to me. Yeah. And so it's this beautiful thing that's such a a communal relational Mm -hmm. piece that has the potential. And I I do think this, to actually leave a mark on the world when we can open ourselves up to that acceptance of actually our story, it connects us with other people in ways we never would have had before.
0: before. Oh my gosh, yes. A hundred percent yes. And there, you just, I always say like, I feel like, not to, like, stick on your sunset metaphor, but, like, I feel like the sunsets are more vibrant for me. I yes. feel like I I laugh more loudly. I hug more tightly. I mm-hmm. cry more, uh, you know, <laughs> yes. spontaneously. Yeah. Like, I because I'm so alive in all of mm-hmm. these moments, I'm not guarded by what society says I should or shouldn't be doing or yes. feeling or, yeah. you know, I'm, like, fully living. And that could not have – I could not have come to this place without having faced what I did. Yes. And that's, you don't, you don't wish this on anyone, like that you, no. you, you know, but but there's no. just this sense of like understanding it when you've been in such darkness that, that you, yeah. realize how, you realize how bright the light is when you, well, yeah. you know, can mm-hmm. find it. You write, the courage to suffer and the courage to flourish regardless of what comes next. And I say in different words, and I I, I feel this so profi- so deeply that hope is not contingent.
1: Yes.
2: Yeah, that's right. Right. Yes. It's it. Yeah. It's mm. a choice, and it transcends circumstances. Um. And it's hard. Oh, good gosh, it's hard. Yes. Um. But but there's a but there's a grace in there, right? Like mm. to be able to understand and appreciate and and find deep and and real gratitude that maybe we didn't have before because we're appreciating um, and savoring the sweetness of life.
0: Mm. This book is a gift. It's a gift. I know it's written as a clinical framework for life's greatest crises, and that you hope that psychologists and counselors and therapists and social workers will read it. And, but I also just found it so fascinating as a patient, as a patient, as Mm -hmm. a person who's suffering. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't know, but maybe there should be a version too. Where you, can, <laughs> yes. where you can like write this out in a way yeah. that is not necessarily just because I think you can you can help yourself see these these phases of darkness as a mm-hmm. as an individual too.
2: Right.
0: Not yes. just as right. a clinician. And yes. um and that would be really powerful. I also think I'm gonna I wanna give this book to like my oncology social worker yes. and you know, people yes. who are helping people with chronic illness because there's this is like seriously this book needs to get all over the world for people to see this framework thank
1: you um i
0: want to close by reading the last paragraph if i can um you write at the end of the book the story of suffering is never simple rather it is wrought with pain loss and questioning as well as with courage, growth, and intentionality. It is not something to triumph over, but rather an inescapable part of life. We will all suffer. How we do so matters. And because we shall all face these existential certainties, we are reminded that life is a gift, and we are offered a choice of what to do with that gift. Mary Oliver, who I absolutely adore, poignantly poignantly describes this human experience in the concluding lines of The Summer Day. She writes, Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Thank you so much for writing this book, *The Courage to Suffer*, Daryl and Sarah. It's a gift. Thank you. And a, a framework <laughs> thank that you I for hope. Us. Oh, I hope it will be a, a great resource to people well, as you. they're they're working with, with their patients.
2: Thank you for giving <sighs> us the opportunity to talk oh, with you about this. Yeah, just had, share and just share the morning with you.
0: Oh, it's been so fun. Um, Let's skip over to a little lightning round.
2: Oh, yes, shall? okay, <laughs> okay.
0: Yes. yes. So I like to just ask a couple fun questions at the end of, of my interviews. Fill in the blank. Hope is?
1: Hmm. Healing.
2: Transformative. He-
0: oh, oh I was gonna say, do you concur? <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like healing and transformative. It is. We know. A hopeful life is not just realized in the perfect happy moments, but also in the struggle. When you are in one of those hard moments, what gets you through? And don't answer the five phases of the fit darkness. Yeah.
1: <laughs> For me, it's it's walks in nature. That's how I connect and ground myself to something bigger is just the reminder that trees die and spring still comes.
0: Oh, gosh, yes. What about you, Daryl? Uh,
2: for me, uh, it, it's uh, feeling connected to something larger than myself. So the, the, it, it's somehow comforting to know that uh, the world has existed long before I was here and will exist long after I'm gone. Um, and somehow that brings me comfort. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Okay. Besides your family, friends, faith, and phone, what is something? you two can't live without
1: coffee <laughs> <laughs> or maybe wine
0: <laughs> yes uh, Good answer. Uh, i
2: would i would say our cat oh that's very sweet <laughs> yes i love that <laughs>
0: awesome okay some people call it a bucket list i mm. call it a wonder list what is on your wonder list that will make your hopeful life complete? Mm.
1: That's such a good question.
2: Uh, so we we have talked about this, uh, going to Antarctica. Yeah,
1: that's what I was thinking, too, in my head. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to go to Antarctica and do the whole, like, sail and get sick along the way <laughs> Yeah, that's like that's like the ultimate oh. dream. Uh-huh. I think that I think for a long time we were afraid to dream yeah. that big.
0: Mm. I know the feeling. Mm. I can see you guys with one of those big those big parkas. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <and>
1: Antarctica. <laughs> I feel like yeah. Michigan's just like one step yeah. depending yeah. on where you <laughs> hit me. We're
0: just prepping <laughs> there in the north. Northern Michigan. Um, Well, my goodness, Daryl and Sarah, thank you so much for sharing your um, perspectives of this new clinical framework and your book, The Courage to Suffer. If our listeners want to get this book or give this book to their counselor, uh, where do they find this book and how do they learn more about your work?
2: Uh, So they can buy it on Amazon or at our publisher's uh website Templeton Press
1: they can also go to their local bookstore so like Amazon will have the listed like ISBN number. And so it's a published book, so people can get it anywhere. Um, You can also request that your local library carries it. Um, That's something I learned in this process, too, is so there's usually at each web page of a library is like request a book. And so um, that can make uh, it also locally accessible as well.
0: Awesome. Yes, I'm I'm a big fan of local... Bookstores and libraries. So yes, we'll we'll start there, and then if you can't find it, you go to Amazon.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. (laughs) And Templeton, yes, Templeton Press has it as well. So that's and I think right now, sometimes we're about to hit the year anniversary, so sometimes they'll do a special um, pricing, and usually they have free shipping too. So Uh, that's also good. Well, it's
0: it is a beautiful gift to the world the way that you frame suffering and. Your perspectives and your vulnerability and your courage. Um, I'm so grateful for the chance to talk with you this morning and to share this book and your story on A Hopeful Life. Thank you for joining me.
2: Thank you for having us. Thank
1: you.
0: Thanks for listening to our stories. I hope you take away something you can apply to your hopeful life. Help keep the hopeful life momentum going by sharing our podcast and take a minute to rate and write a review. If you'd like to learn more, check out our websites, myhopefullife.org and hopescarves.org.